Well, there's no doubt about it. Sometimes music is just the best way to kind of express what's going on in your life, what you're thinking, what you're feeling. And so last week, that's why we kicked off this brand new sermon series called uh, Then Sings My Soul, because what happens when you open up the Bible and, and you begin to read those birth narratives in the Gospels around the birth of Jesus, what you see is that they're just full of songs, these songs that have cadence and, and rhythm to them, songs that say a whole lot about God, but also a whole lot about the people who were singing them. And so we're looking at these songs throughout the month of December, and today we come to the one that is known as Zechariah's song. Now, I doubt if old Zechariah would have made an audition for The Voice, okay? Uh, he was way too old to make it on American Idol. But his soul was singing because God was doing something special in the life of he and his wife, Elizabeth. You see, God had promised them a son. And at their age, that wasn't just improbable. I mean, that was impossible. But they were learning a lot about this God who specializes in impossible situations. So let's get into their story before we look at the song, and let's learn how this came about. Zechariah and Elizabeth were godly people, and they were greatly respected. That was rare then, and it's pretty rare today as well. But their hearts were broken because they had been unable to have a child. And now Elizabeth was well past the childbearing years. As a vocation, Zechariah was a priest in this Jewish priestly system. And the priests actually cast lots to determine who would have the privilege of going into the Holy of Holies that was the most sacred, special place in the temple, and be able to offer these prayers of incense. And if your name was picked, you only got to do it once in a lifetime. Some never got to serve. It all came about if your, if your number was picked. This week, I guess my number is up because I've been summoned for jury duty. How's that? I'm supposed to report to Rensselaer County Courthouse this week. And it's, it's one of these deals, you know, where you kind of call in every evening to see if indeed you have to report the next day. And so in our country, many of you have served, by the way, on juries. I know that to be a fact. And in our country, you can serve many times throughout a lifetime on a jury. But in Zechariah's day, when your number came up, this was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And so Zachariah's number was called, and he was thrilled. So let's pick the story up, because that's when something really interesting began to happen in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. And when the time for the burning of incense came, 
all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. Now, maybe you're new to scripture. You might be interested to know that angels have been a vital part of God's big narrative throughout the centuries. In fact, the Bible says that we should not neglect to show hospitality to strangers because by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. So sometimes angels appear very human, and at other times, it's, they're obviously not human. In this case, this angel was obviously supernatural. It goes on here to say, when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, and he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you're to give him the name John. What a stunning promise this was. I read about one 63-year-old woman who, after a consultation with a younger doctor, went screaming at the top of her lungs out of the guy's office, and she met an older doctor out in the lobby area that knew her well. And after consulting with the woman for a while, the older doctor went and confronted the younger one. He said, what is wrong with you, man? Mrs. Terry is 63 years old. She has four children of her own, seven grandchildren, and you tell her she's pregnant? And the young doctor just smugly smiled and said, sure cured her hiccups, though. All right? So if Zechariah had hiccups, trust me, they were cured at this point. But I like this guy, Zechariah, because he likes to keep life real. He's not gonna be easily convinced of anything. He's a bit skeptical here. We read on. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. See, he's realistic about life. And my wife is well along in years. And so Gabriel gives Zechariah a sign that will be not only a reminder of the promise, but also a chastisement for his doubts. Verse 20 reads like this, and now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their proper time. Imagine that, being mute, not able to speak for nine months. Now, I'm thankful that I have seldom had laryngitis in my life, but several weeks ago, I got a horrible upper respiratory infection, and with it came laryngitis. And I realized that week, wow, I mean, it was horrible. I could barely be heard. I could hardly utter a sound with my voice. And I realized that week in my frustration how much my life depends on being able to speak. I mean, I had meetings that week with individuals, meetings with groups. I have public places to speak at, and I could hardly be heard at all. It was so horrible. Well, as a chastisement from God for his doubt, Zechariah couldn't utter a syllable 
for nine months. Now, friends, there's a strong message here, not only for Zechariah, but for any person of faith who knows the ways of God and who's looking to walk with God. Here's the lesson that we all need to learn. So let's look at it together. Here's the lesson. God always fulfills his promises. I hope you know that lesson. I hope we've all let God etch that into the fabric of our soul. It's consistent both Old Testament and New Testament. God always keeps his promises. Consider this verse, for instance, in Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. And then he asks this rhetorical kind of question. Does God speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? You see, Zechariah knew that scripture well, and yet he still doubted. And yet it all unfolded exactly the way the angel said it would. Elizabeth became pregnant. She went full term, gave birth to a healthy baby boy. Now, in this Jewish culture, if you had a boy baby, on the eighth day after birth, the baby was brought for circumcision on the eighth day. And it was at that time in this Jewish culture that they declared officially what the baby's name would be. And the father is the one who usually declared that to all the relatives and everyone who was gathered. But Zechariah still can't speak a word. So they look to Elizabeth and she says, he is to be called John. Now at that point, everybody is confused. John? All the relatives are scratching their heads going, what, what, what do you mean, John? Nobody in your family has ever been called John. You see, today, young parents get really creative. Have you noticed this? I mean, boy, when the baby's on the way, they look online and they find these websites, they buy these books with thousands of potential names and they get all these funky names, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a family. Nobody cares much about that these days. They're looking for some interesting name that's meaningful to them. But in that culture, hear me, you always named that baby after someone in the family. So then they go to Zechariah, and we read on here, it says he asked for a writing tablet, because he can't say anything. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote his name is John. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue was loose and he began to speak, praising God. The neighbors were all filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, can you imagine if there was social media in that day? I mean, somebody would have had their phone filming this whole thing, you know, they, it would have been caught on video and it would have gone viral. But no social media, no smartphones. And so throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, what then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. And it's at this point now that Zechariah breaks out into this prophetic sort of thanksgiving. Let's look at the first stanza 
of this song. It says, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. And so Zechariah is now a convinced believer. I got a personal question for you. Have you ever been tempted to doubt God's promises? Come on, let, let's get really real here. Don't blurt your answer out, please. Have you ever been tempted as a believer to look around you, especially in the Western world, those of us who live in the Western world, have you ever been tempted to look around and go, is God's team really winning? Or is the enemy winning? Does God really have this under control? Or is evil winning the day? You know what I think? I think for real believers, real followers of Jesus these days, those who are yoked up with Jesus as his apprentices, I believe it's awfully easy to look around and get discouraged. So if that's you today, if you're feeling a bit down, if you're needing a little <laughs> heavenly oxygen in your lungs today, I wanna remind you of some of God's promises, outrageous, bold Promises. Promises like, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Promises like, look, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and in all Samaria and to the utter most remote parts of the capital region. Promises like, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Promises like, if I go away, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Wow, what promises. Promises like, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. These are bold. These are outrageous promises. If you're feeling a little down, a little discouraged, like the journey's getting long and you're getting a little tired, I want to remind you, God always, always fulfills his promises. And that's one of the reasons that Zechariah could sing with such joy. But there's a second one that I want us to notice, and that is that God always, don't let this sound trite to you because there's nothing trite about it, God always has a plan. In this song, Zechariah continues to give thanks to God. So let's look at the second part of it here. As he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all 
our days. Now, if you're not familiar, super familiar with some of the promises in the Old Testament, that may just sound like a bunch of gobbledygook to you, a bunch of words. What in the world is that talking about? Zechariah is going back and pinpointing the promise that God made to their father Abraham some 2,000 years earlier. And God had said to Abraham, look, I'm gonna bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. That's why he talks about enemies here and people who will hate us because within that promise, it was implied you're gonna have some haters if you follow me. You're gonna, if you're a person of faith, there are gonna be some people who just don't like that and they're gonna dish you. And God made this amazing promise that all the people groups, that's the word, all the ethnic groups, all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. What a promise. And by the way, footnote, the Apostle Paul comes along later in the book of Galatians in the New Testament, and he gives us an interpretation of that. And he says that the primary way that God was gonna fulfill that promise is through the seed of Abraham, singular, meaning not just the nation, the Jewish nation, as much of a blessing as so many Jewish people have been to the world. That's one part of it. But the primary way that God was gonna fulfill that is through the seed of Abraham, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, the salvation that he accomplished through his death on the cross and his resurrection, that's the way the promise would primarily be fulfilled. Now think about this for a moment. Think about this. From the time God gave that promise to Abraham to the time it was fulfilled in Jesus Christ took 2,000 years. How you doing out there? You thought you had a long wait, huh? You thought God's promise in your life was taking a long time. 2,000 years. And the main challenge for the Jewish people was waiting for God's timing. They went through 400 years of silence with no revealed revelation. They went through a horrible exile. They went through a whole litany of horrible kings and all kinds of horrible circumstances, and it just wasn't unfolding according to their schedule. Now, folks, here's where this gets really personal. I think coming to terms with God's timing in our lives is one of the biggest problems we have. We go, why do we have to wait? Why do we have to struggle? Why do we have to suffer? Why can't God just stink and do it right now? When I was a little kid, the hardest thing for me about Christmas was the waiting. The tree would go up, the beautiful presents under the gift, and I looked at them, and I saw my name on some of them. R-E-X, Rex, that's mine. It's like a promise. But the fulfillment has got to wait until Christmas morning. And we're like little kids we want what we want when we want it. Thank you very much. We want God to work in our timetable and our schedule. 
So if you're a Christian today, if you're a real apprentice of Jesus out there and you're looking to him as your teacher, let me tell you one of the greatest lessons we ever learn, it's to become content with God's timing in our lives. Some of you have children who've strayed far away from faith and from God, but you're convinced, you're convinced that God is going to ultimately capture their hearts and bring them back. But it's God's timing, not yours. Some of you have dreams that God, you're convinced God put that in. It's not just a selfish whim. You're convinced that God gave you that vision for your life, but it's God's timing, not yours. Some of you have relational strife. You've done all you know to do to resolve it. Can you now rest in God's providence because it's his timing, not yours? Now, this issue is important of timing because I can tell you from painful personal experiences, just my testimony, oh, I hate to admit this, I'm ashamed of it. The biggest blunders I've made in my walk with God is where I rushed ahead of God because I couldn't trust his timing. And oh, it creates a mess. God's people had waited for centuries. Centuries. Some had given up hope. And finally, God taps Zachariah and Elizabeth on the shoulder, as it were, and says, get ready. Get ready. The waiting's been long. I know you've struggled but you're about to become a part of my plan. I always have a plan, and I want you to be the parents of the forerunner of the Messiah. Your son is gonna be called John the Baptizer, and he will pave the way for my son, Jesus, who will save his people from their sins. No wonder Zechariah is singing. I mean, this is exciting stuff when God taps you on the shoulder, but it has to be his timing. It happened three months ago. It was a Saturday afternoon, September the 10th, down in Long Island. And Kevin Rivera, an Amazon driver, was just finishing up his route there in the community. It was Bluebird Drive. And suddenly, he saw a fire raging in one of the houses. He looked through the windows of the house and he could see that there was a woman. It looked like an infant and there were other children. And, and yet the weird thing was they seemed to not be aware. They didn't know the incredible danger that their house was literally in flames. And so it was Kevin Rivera's tap on the shoulder. He stopped his vehicle. He rushed to the front door. He convinced the family, all seven of them, to exit through the back door. And then Kevin went back inside and rescued their two dogs. And when the family was all outside for the first time, kind of turned around and saw the flames engulfing their house, they just fell apart. It was so emotional for them because they didn't realize until that moment how close they were to perishing. 
And through his bold and compassionate action that day, Kevin Rivera saved lives. He later told a CBS News reporter, he said, I just rushed in because I didn't want anybody to die in that house. And for those who tried to give him heartfelt thanks, he said, oh, no, no, I'm just glad I acted. I'm just glad I did something. Man, I love that story. I love Kevin's boldness and decisive action. But you know what? I think that true story is kind of like a metaphor for our world. House is on fire, folks. House is on fire in our culture. And people don't realize that it's burning up. They don't realize the danger they're in. And God is looking for people, people like us that he can tap on the shoulder that can make a difference. Oh, it may not be as dramatic as Kevin's courageous action, but it's gonna require courage just the same. Could be at your Christmas party this week. Oh, it's just another Christmas party, just the annual party, but God's tapping you on the shoulder. He wants you to have a conversation that'll make a difference in somebody's life. It could be with your neighbors who are living lives of quiet desperation and wondering if there's any meaning in life. It could be, could be with your coworker who's wondering if this whole story about Jesus is really true or not and is trying to figure this faith thing out. And they just need someone who can have a conversation with them and get involved. Here's my question. When God taps you and me on the shoulder says, now's your time, what will our response be? Zechariah could sing because he and Elizabeth had already said yes. Yes, God, use us. God always fulfills his promises. God always has a plan. There's one other thing I, I wanna mention as we go down home stretch here, and that is God always always, always is working out his purposes. Jesus said, my father is always at work, even to this very day. Let's look at the last part of the song together. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. Now, notice there this imagery. It's common in Scripture talking about darkness and light. And I believe that Zechariah here was directly referencing Isaiah chapter 9 where we read there, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. And all throughout the scriptures, that imagery is used. The light that the Messiah would bring to his people. By the way, that's why we, we read it in Matthew's gospel, chapter four, where it says, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, 
a light has dawned. And you guys will remember that Jesus came along. We read this in John's gospel. And he said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And Jesus looked to his disciples. Are you one of them today? And he said, you're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. He said it in the same way, let your light shine before people that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. There's no better time to let your light shine than at this Christmas season because it seems that right now is where so many people are feeling more desperate, more restless, looking, searching for some kind of meaning in life. So let's recap what we've said. God always fulfills his promise. God always has a plan, but it's on his timing, not our schedule. And God always is working out his purposes. He did it with Zechariah and Elizabeth. He wants to do it with us as well. But as I close today, as I close, I want to mention what to me, I love the song, love what Zechariah prophesied in this song, but I, I, there's one part about this that is the most impressive of all, and let me share with you what that is. It's that this amazing song of thanksgiving came before the story was complete. Oh, yeah, Zechariah and Elizabeth, their son, John, yeah, he had been born, but the main one, that Zechariah was singing about wasn't even born yet. So Zechariah is trusting God even though the story hasn't unfolded. The day of salvation is not here yet. Jesus has not turned water into wine yet. Jesus hasn't walked on the water. He's not multiplied the loaves and fishes. Jesus hasn't cast out a single demon yet. He's not done a single miracle. He hasn't died on the cross. He hasn't risen again. He's not even been born yet. And yet, Zechariah's singing. How could he do that? Oh, it's so impressive. He could do that by faith because he'd learned his lesson. God always fulfills his promises. God always has a plan, and God is always working out his purposes. And I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, when you are confident of that, woo, woo, you can sing. Your soul can sing even though it still feels a little dark. And it still feels like the sun hasn't risen yet in your life. But you can still sing because you know that God has got this. Father, wow, I'm inspired by Zechariah and Elizabeth. Their example by faith of letting their souls sing, even when the story isn't complete yet, that's where we find ourselves between the promise and the fulfillment. And so for all of us fellow pilgrims on the journey, 
who've got the promise, but we're waiting, waiting, waiting for God's schedule for the fulfillment. I ask, Lord, that we could sing by faith, knowing that you're going to make good on your promise. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Amen.